Hello. What's going on? What up, what up? How we doing? You know, I'm doing it all right on a Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> Is woke up from, again, a nap. Nice. Surprise. I need to get yeah. better at naps. I probably need to try and take a nap after this. Such a restless soul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh definitely needed it um i'm getting to practice of course after after we're done so Mm, yes of course we did the buffalo buttes twitter spaces after the official taylor chrissy news came out though it Um, was definitely mentioned (laughs) Mm, yeah um that's still that's still something i'm I'm trying so uh i'm gonna (laughs) We'll wait for the article. Hello, friends. <laughs> yeah. Mike! Mike Murphy! I am new to talking on Twitter spaces. Not new to listening on Twitter spaces, but I didn't know if I needed the headphones, so I went and grabbed those. So hopefully we're good to go. We are good to go. Thank you so much. Well, the gang is all here. Hello, everyone. And uh, for those listening back on our traditional podcast platforms. My name is Erica L. Ayala, one of the co-hosts of the current Founding Floor podcast, but also a co-founder with my man, Mike Murphy, who's on the stage with us. Uh, The Founding Floor podcast, we primarily cover what is now known as the Premier Hockey Federation. But you know, Mike, I was thinking about this. Help me fact check this on the fly. So the founding four, we already know in the MNHL, they have the original six. Although I understand from listening to Willie O'Ree, there might be some controversy even in what the actual original teams is. But story for another day. But Mike, how many teams got started in the CWHL and how many teams did we have when we started the PWHPA? Oh, my gosh. Um the C-dubs is tricky because teams moved around and then a lot of teams were already established from the, uh, I love this in women's hockey, how we have this, you know, the first NWHL, not, yeah. not the other one, <laughs> yeah. not the other one that's also now rebranded, but the other NWHL. <laughs> so when was that the first year of the C-dubs? I always forget. Um, I think it, w- it was an 08. Or- it's not 08, 09. It might be 9, 10. Uh. I think it's a... No. No, no? No. No, I think it was... I think it was a 708. I think it was a 708. Like, the C- the C-dubs that we know, yes. I think was... 08. Okay. I... Yeah, 2007. Yeah. Trust I, your memory more than mine. Um... And then last, the first year, the P-dubs, I, oh my gosh, I couldn't tell you. I feel like it was five because I know this past season, it was a, it was a, it was significant that it was contracted down to four teams because it contracted. It just meant less, less places for players to to play. Right. Even if um, it sounds like this season, all the players are being compensated, which is great. Um, We're still. Yeah. they started in earnest, I think, in 2019. That was, I think, just after, because they uh, the C Dub folded in May of 2019, and I think after that was when the P Dub was yeah. formed. So, mm-hmm. I think it was five. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think it was five because it was by like cities. Yeah, it was really yeah the main. I'd, if I I probably couldn't name all of them off the top of my head. All I know is that that first year the P Dubs hurts my heart because we don't have stats for it and if i can go back in time and drive myself crazy getting stats for it i would but we don't have stats for it and we may never have stats that part i know (laughs) but it's well now we're we're already see we haven't even officially started yet and we're already (laughs) I love it, though. I love it. Okay, so welcome, welcome, everyone. Again, my name is Erica L. Ayala. Uh, Mike and I started the Founding Four pod when the NWHL was a thing and the CWHL was a thing. That's true. The second NWHL (laughs) for our previous conversation. Um, And so we're so excited to have him on the show again, along with Angelica 
Rodriguez, who, of course, is current co-host of the show. Better co-host. No, we're all, it's all love. We are a one big family here at the Founding Four Pod. Um, but when it's Angelica and I, we are two Latinas with spicy hockey takes. And you will hear some of them today, but we are continuing our PH. F preview, Premier Hockey Federation preview. We're going to talk about the Connecticut Whale. And I got to speak to their GM today, so I have a few nuggets Ooh. I'm going to share for the first time right here on the Founding Four Pod. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what we've been missing. All, all of the sound effects. So, all right. First, let's... let's uh, hear what you've been up to mike uh we know that or most people should know that you're an amazing stats man uh but also have been advocating for more salary transparency um but outside of those amazing things that you do without having a full-time job in women's hockey uh what's new in your world what's uh what sparked joy for you today um i got to leave work early to make it home in time for this that that sparked joy so I, I got off the train while there was still the sun in the sky, which, which was good. I'm new to driving, so I had to uh, r- really quickly Google how to defrost my windshield at uh, 5.45 in the morning today, which was with the, whatever the opposite of sparking joy is. That's what I had. Um, but yeah, it was a good day. It's been a busy, busy summer. Um, I... I'm currently the interim managing editor at the Ice Garden. Michelle J has moved on, so I'm currently running things. Is uh, hopefully not into the ground. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, you know, it's been a lot of projects. The salary transparency thing was something I got really passionate about. Um, really invested in the. In many ways, I feel like it's the most significant thing I've done in the women's hockey space because it was a uh, a way for me to to really give back directly to the players to try and provide a resource to them. Um, a lot of the feedback I've gotten in private DMs, I cry for everything, but uh, it's been a really emotional and rewarding experience. And I'm excited to share here that uh, for the first time I can share this, that the site is going to with... Um, Essentially, the women's hockey version of the cap-friendly site is going to launch hopefully before the season. So that's the little thing, a little yeah, tip that I can share yeah. here for the first time. You heard it here first, y'all. Let's go. So that I definitely sparks joy. <laughs> Resources and nice things to uh, to share with people. And it's it's awesome, you know. So uh, that's, that's, that's been really amazing. fun. Amazing. Let's give some emojis to Mike in the chat and Twitter yeah. space. That's freaking awesome, bro. I, yeah, love it. I was gonna say, I was gonna say, I'm about to get so annoyed with you though, because <laughs> you continue to you continue to self-deprecate so hard. And I'm about to be like, yo, dude, like this is this is an ongoing thing with Mike. I'm always like, Mike, can you stop? Everybody here loves you. Women's hockey is so much better. And you're just like, oh no, no, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm this, I'm that, I'm not doing a good job. I'm running the site into the ground, Michael. (laughs) Well, I, Erica knows from many, many conversations with me over the years. It is kind of, that's that's my whole mo. It's self-deprecating humor. I know. Well, I think you're doing great. We both do, and Angelica. Oh, yeah. Take your own advice, homie. I'd be hearing you, too. We got to lift each other up. I lift love everybody it. I love up. It. I love that. That's that's why we're here. That's why we're here to do the good things in hockey. So let us know what's been good in your world, homie. Hermana. <laughs> I was, I was going to say, I mean, since we last talked on today, I've just been plugging away. Um, Yeah, I'm like I said, I'm going to YouTube. Uh, Butte's camp. I almost said Butte's camp. Butte's practice tonight um, for the first time since uh, I had my little scare. Um, but uh, yeah, just uh, got some good stuff out. I have uh, some stuff on the ice garden. Uh, 
under the incomparable Mike Murphy. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna continue to shower him with compliments until he just like stops. But anyway, um, I had a couple columns go live uh, uh, this week, and uh, I've got another one in the pipeline now that we have the uh, a Percy announcement to dissect and talk about. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that's really what I've been up to. There's really not a whole lot of change and a lot of uh, shaking up in my world, to be honest with you. Hey, so that's, you know, sometimes I, that's a great thing. Like, I wish that were the case for me a lot of the times. I feel like I'm always <laughs> bouncing off the walls here. But you know what? I am I'm happy to be here on tonight. Uh, we're going to talk about the Connecticut Whale, a team that... You know, a little bias is near and dear. It was the team that uh, uh, that I was uh, the broadcaster alongside Phil Jubileo. I was the analyst to his play-by-play voice for the Connecticut Whale um, for really since season three until we moved to a different um, a different format. So I'm very very excited to share what I learned about this Connecticut Whale team. But first, Mike. And Angelica, why don't we start with what we saw from this Connecticut Whale team last season? Mike, I'll start with you. I think um, the the proximity to the whale between uh, you and I when we were, you know, in our heyday and our stomping ground, it was a team that we got to see a lot. So you've seen a lot of the growth, the changes of the arenas and the, the venues, the, the general managers, the coaches. What, among all of that history... Um, stood out to you about last year's Connecticut Whale team, season seven? I still think, um, I know a lot of the Whale players are still frustrated about how the season ended with a, you know, a one game winner takes all Isabel Cup final. I think it's really important for everyone to remember they went 15-3-2. and two. Um, They had 59 goals at even strength four and 38 even strength goals against, which is just like a staggering goal differential. They regularly had, they outshot their opponents on average by 10 shots a game. Like this is not a whale team that if you've been a whale fan since year one, you really haven't seen a team, a whale team do this really since that year one team, this team was better than that, that first year team with Kelly Stack and Fratty and uh, just Koi- like Jess Koizumi. It was a really great team with Jamie Leonoff and that. But last year's team just across the board was a deeper, more dangerous, balanced team. There was no weakness. Um, it, the fact that they didn't lift the Isabel Cup really came down to the fact that Boston won their most important game of the year. <laughs> I still think if you measure them, you know, across the – the scope of the year, I think the whale were the better hockey team. Um, it's, 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 I mean, that's, it's sports, right? Like, Oh, it's the championship game and the pride are absolutely deserving champions. Don't get me wrong. But um, I look at everything that whale fans have gone through and how they've been so true to their team when the whale for several years, there were like, Oh, lovable underdogs and a team that had potential, but it felt like, Every time they had potential, the players who seemed like the core were gone the next year, and it was like, oh, boy, what's happening? Like, every time it felt like they they took a step forward, they took a step back. Um, That is not the way things feel right now. This team is is that kid in high school who would, like, uh, jump three or four steps up the flight of stairs. It's like, you're already at the top of the stairs? What's going on? They They are moving in a very positive direction. So it's an exciting time to be a whale fan. Yeah, I I 100% agree. Um, you know, it's so funny you mentioned that because it's like I was just thinking, I was looking over the roster, I was looking over the additions, and I was looking at last season, and I'm like, yeah, this team really didn't have any weaknesses at all. Like, this team was so solid all the way around. Um, you know, their offense was formidable. Their defense was extremely tough, um, you know, and their goalies did what they needed to do. And it's just the stability I think that they have at this point is 
something that I think other teams envy. Um, I think if we had had a best of three or a best of five last season in the playoffs, I think it would have been a much different story. Um, And I think, you know, I I definitely stand by that because I think they're only – um, you know, their only stumble was running into a red hot Boston team that just was not, you know, gonna let that go. So um, I definitely, uh, you know, I think that they have just done a tremendous job of building a very, very strong hockey over there. Y'all hit on a lot. And again, I got to speak to general manager of the Connecticut Whale just today. So we're going to drop a few nuggets there. But, uh, you know, Alexis Moed was brought in last summer, uh, right before season seven. And I spoke to her about a weekend and, you know, then speaking to her just uh, a, a couple of weeks now away from her first full season. And there's a lot of excitement. Um, and the theme, Alexis said, after speaking with the players in the way that that final ended, losing to Boston, you know, Mike broke down the stats because he's the stats man. <laughs> <laughs> here we go like we never left like we never left but um it's unfinished business is what they are talking about the the sentiment is we are not done and alexis told me also that even the players whether they were in the league last season or not she gets the sense that now as this team is hitting the ice together they're getting ready to um Take on those Buffalo Buttes, Angelica, uh, in a in some preseason games. You know, everyone's taking on this. We're not done yet. The best is yet to come for the Connecticut Whale. So, Angelica, I want to go to you first. When you look at some of the players that have been announced on this Connecticut Whale roster, uh, who stands out to you, uh, whether it's them coming from another team and swimming with the pod this year or some new faces to the league? Uh, well, I mean, I think unfinished business is the absolute perfect way to talk about Shannon Turner coming back. Um, you know, (laughs) obviously, I mean, if that's not the epitome of unfinished business, I don't know what is. She said, you know, ahead of last season that she was gone. She signed, you know, uh, (laughs) uh, surprisingly enough for one more year and, then she signed again for another year. She's not done. And I think that that is really, I think more than anything else is going to really propel the whale to um, achieve what they need to this season. I I really think that if for nothing else, they're going to try their absolute hardest to do it for Shannon. Um, And I mean, not (laughs) she definitely deserves it. I mean, I, I, completely happy cried when I found out that she signed for another season. Cause it was just like, just like the perfect cap to that, those roster announcements for the whale, I think. But, um, you know, also I think that there's a lot of, um, I mean, they didn't add a whole lot of pieces. I think that they did a lot more of preserving their roster from last season and then just adding as necessary. And they, brought back a lot of you know big not big names but like yeah kind of I mean Miri Reisinen coming back um uh Maragova coming back um those are you know two players who have been with the whale before and I think they're going to add a lot of you know solid depth to the roster um obviously you know the cup pedigree of Tori Sullivan and Mallory Soliotis two team two players who won the cup last year with Boston and who you know kind of don't necessarily fit I think uh, on this roster now for them obviously which is why they came over to Connecticut and I think that Boston's loss is definitely Connecticut's game there those are two players who know how to win um and who can add some really really strong um you know, depth to both offense and defense. Yeah, just a couple of Olympians, no big deal. You yeah. Mary <laughs> Reisinen. Just a couple uh, of world class players. Oh well. Uh, yeah. Oh, well. I mean, oh well. Who? Who? Yeah, I was gonna say, who else but Connecticut would have like just casually been like, yeah, we're just bringing Mary Reisinen back. That's fine. You know. Yeah. <laughs> 
I'm I'm really excited to see Miri Raisinen and also Katarina Mrazova, who is celebrating a birthday today. I, I'm hey. sure oh, it's like right. listening right now, but uh, Mrazova <laughs> got to see both of them. I didn't catch up with Miri Raisinen when I was covering the Olympics. Also, LOL, when I was talking last week, I heard the playback or for the Boston thing, and I could not remember what tournament, what big tournament was taking place that then made uh, <laughs> Flanagan available for the Boston Pride. I was like, it could have been, was it the Olympics? Did that happen this year? I don't even know. <laughs> That's how, like, that was a, what a time, what a time. But I did get to catch up with Mrazova and for Team Czechia. That was an exciting run for them, not just that in the Olympics, but also in world championships. I am very excited to see what Team Czechia is going to, to look like. Then, of course, I'm excited to have Shannon Turner back and hopefully you'll hear from Shannon herself soon over at the Founding Four pod. So, We'll get more into it. But another player I'm excited for is the return of Janine Weber. I mean, just I'm going to make all of the snacking jokes forever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you eat one burger and it just stays with you. It stays with you. When, well, when you do it on a Jumbotron at Madison Square Garden. And, and she uh, did obliterate that do. burger, let's be honest. Just like, come on, crushed it, crushed it. I love it. The last time I interviewed I'm excited. Her... Go ahead. Not, not nothing, but I'm, I'm sorry. I'm excited just to have Bruce back. I hope he comes back to Buffalo and like hangs out with us a little bit more. Bruce, Bruce. He was so funny. Uh, I will never forget him coming up to Ryan Burgess and just being like, "Yeah, she said she was going to score. I'm, I'm never going to hear the end of it now." I'm like, "Oh my god, that's hilarious." <laughs> For those who don't know, Bruce is Janine's husband. They got married uh, two seasons ago, I believe. No, um, two, maybe three. Uh, Who knows? Time is a concept um, (laughs) that I know not of uh, most of the time. But, um, (laughs) Mike, um, I also want to talk about... um, So we talked a little bit about some of the roster moves, but how do you think some of these moves will impact what seems like was a pretty complete whale season last year. So is there anything possible where you see the whale um, really either hunkering down or even improving from what they had last season, at least on paper? (laughs) I think if, I mean, maybe the, the only criticism I could have had, I think Angie put it really well, like last season when the goaltending had to be there, it was there. And and I had some some like some criticism at times of of Abby Ives just because there was like oh every once in a while there is a softer goal and I feel like she was one of those goalies where she actually benefits from seeing a lot of shots and playing behind the Connecticut team you didn't see a lot of shots like some goalies really benefit that way I think uh, Lovisa Sanander is a lot the same way like she needs to see shots to to stay on top of her game and. Like Fuji actually had Mariah Fuji Magari had a brilliant season, especially in terms of the statistics. She's moved on to the first division in the uh, SDA in Sweden, which is the league below the SDHL. So we wish her all the best there. Um, and then they bring back Miri Nysenen, who's probably the best or second best goalie in franchise history. And her plus Abby Ives, I have no more questions about goaltending. I think both of them are legitimate great starters. You look at this roster and like it's I mean, Angie pointed out like all like the core all came back and like looking at this now, I think there's eight players who didn't resign, so eight quote unquote new players. Two of those are veterans from the Boston Pride. Two of two of them in Media Nysinen and Katka Marazova are former whale players. So you have like two true rookies in Katrin Lonergan and just Justine Reyes. And then you have Lenka Sardar, who's an international player who's who's twenty-five and like, you know, that's that's not the same as, as being a rookie. She's played pro overseas. So like there is no <laughs> there's no uh not gonna be a lot of adjustment for this team, which is exciting. they they should be able to come out of the gates like full throttle, which is quite a thing. Cause there's no 
there's no need for a learning curve here. These players all know each other. There's already a lot of pre-existing chemistry. I was just thinking this the other day. It's like, how how excited were, were Whale fans when like Samo signed a few years ago? And Samo on this team, she's she's still a great player and a star, but she's not even like the headline player on a team like this anymore. Like that speaks volumes about just how deep and how good the Whale are. They're a team of stars now. Like there's no denying that up and down the lineup, it's everywhere you look. Like Janine Weber's unbelievable. Wolfie's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Kennedy Marchman's uh, MVP. You look at the blue line, you add Mallory Soliotis to that defense, There's their third defensive pair is a first defensive pair. It's bonkers. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I definitely agree with that. And that's, that's, I think, they're so deadly in that instance. And I, it's just like looking at them, it's like, how do you not see them winning a cup? Honestly, um, it, it's just they have added, they've only added, they didn't really lose much from this. That's roster. wild they to me. Added. Yeah, they're only better than they were last year. Last year was the, the best oh, yeah. male team we've ever seen. And <laughs> yeah, you just kind of <laughs> shake your head and you're like, all right, shoot, they're not playing around. Okay. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's like what you want, right? We've talked about it when we did our, because we're doing team-by-team team, PHF previews. Thank you for joining us here on the Founding Four podcast on Twitter Spaces. But, um, you know, we, we talked about it with the Connecticut team, there, or excuse me, with the Boston team, there's a lot of consistency there with Paul, with Paul Morrow, with the ownership, with the accoutrement <laughs> that uh, we're offering, <laughs> that were offered um, to the players through Warrior Ice Arena and through that ownership group, um, which now we have a, a whole new structure under the PHF. Um, but the consistency on the ice didn't always remain. Now, I would argue, uh, as I will say until the cows come home i guess uh i thought they got lucky to get into that uh playoff series in the end double at the single site and i hear what you're saying uh mike about boston being a team that just had to win one game against the best team in the league and they did that so um I, you know, sometimes you see this, we've seen this with NHL teams, MNHL teams, we've seen it with MNBA teams, you know, that consistency over a regular season, does that um, almost put you at a disadvantage, Angelica, now that everyone kind of knows your stuff, they know your MO, um, you know, what would you say are are some ways that um, you'd like to see Connecticut just continue to to really push so that they don't get, get too stagnant? Well, I think that the main thing is for them not to get complacent and not to kind of assume that it's a given. I think if last year taught us Oh, I don't know. Do we lose you for a minute? I'm still here. Oh, yeah. Angie went out for a second there. I'm not sure I can hear her right now. No, I don't think so. Me either. Okay. Well, I'm going to read her mind with my auntie powers. You uh, <laughs> teams against teams oh, that... In and sorry, out. I'm outside right now. Sorry, okay. I'm outside right now. Okay. Um, there we go. Um, I really think that they need to be teams that, you know, maybe on paper don't have the quote-unquote strongest rosters. The same that they need to view teams that, you know, bested them last season like Boston so I think that that's going to be the biggest thing for them I think that if they mean business they're going to need to mean business every single week Hmm. yeah and I think I think that's exactly the attitude I remember interviewing Shannon Turner um you know, after a pretty big win, I, I believe it was the game where they tied the most consecutive wins in franchise history and asked her about that. Cause she'd been there for all the wins and it was like, yeah, cool. Great. Uh, but we haven't won anything yet. Like that was kind of the attitude. That's not a direct quote, although I wish we could go and play those back, but that's a whole nother story for another day. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, that was kind of the attitude and knowing 
again, speaking with Alexis, the general manager for the Connecticut Whale today, I mean, that was the first thing we talked about. It's unfinished business. Uh, we're not done. So uh, I'm, I'm very curious to see what that actually looks like. Uh, what it will look like on the ice, at least for home games, Mike, is this is one of the teams that we see with uh, a new home ice, which is pretty much uh, on brand for the Connecticut Whale. <laughs> I mean, in eight seasons, I feel like, uh, you know, counting some of the arenas that they've gone to twice. I mean, how many different arenas have they had? I was I was driving all over the Nutmeg State when I was in arena calling games. But um, so it's the International Skating Center of Connecticut um, in Simsbury. 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 Connecticut. Hello. Simsbury. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> I really just want to say Schnozberry for some reason. Schnozberry. <laughs> yeah. It's it's very inner. Well, I mean, it's it's only appropriate, right? Whale mig or migratory creatures. So, um, but like, I think it, this is a big deal that they have a new home, and it, it seems like it's a new home that's happy to have them, which is also a big deal. Um, I think it's very very important that they're maybe I think a 25 minute drive outside of like the heart of Hartford. Um, and that's also very important. It's, it's no secret that it's been hard to get a lot of fans in to whale games. And that's been something that has really been like low key. One of the biggest bummers for me um, covering the league is just you look around the league and, you know, some teams do a great job, even like Buffalo always has fans in the stands. Boston always has fans in the stands. Riveters has been up and down, I think. Minnesota always has great fan attendance. And then the Whale, of, it seems like they've never really been able to have that. And I'm hoping things are different this year. It feels like there will be a professional experience, which is great for the players. I don't... A little bit of an echo. Yeah, I, I, I hear an echo too. Um no worries. Um, I, I, it's funny, Erica. I was looking at like, I don't know what the, um, what is it, the capacity is there, but if they don't really list it publicly. It's something I was trying to get an answer on. I haven't heard back, but it seems like it should be a good venue. I mean, it, like I said, I think it is a big deal when in your press release, your new venue it seems like overjoyed to have a pro hockey team there. They seem really happy. The players seem happy. Um, we talked to Allie Monroe on the PHF Future Considerations pod. She said she hadn't been there yet, but they're they're very excited about the opportunity of having their own like their own locker room and a lot of those amenities that we're starting to see more and more across the league is that more professional experience for players, which is what I mean. I'm all about. I mean, all of us have been around since year one of of covering you know, and Angie much longer in the women's hockey space of, you know, things that players have had to put up with just like, Oh yeah, our locker room is what there's a furnace in it. Okay. Um, so it, I'm glad things are in that direction, a new home for the whale. I hope this is the best home yet. And I hope they get to stay here and, and build, you know, build some connections with the community. Cause this team deserves a lot of butts and seats, and I hope we get to see it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But um, yeah, it looks exciting. So the Connecticut Whale will not open in Simsbury at the International Skating Center of Connecticut. They will play a few games in Milford. Uh, but uh, I love also that uh, Tobin Kelly in the press release says, the whale are thrilled to be putting down our roots at ISCC in Simsbury and bringing Brass Bonanza back to the greater Hartford area. Um, and in speaking with Alexis, th there's some renovations going on, which is why there will be a few games um the first two games of the season, I believe, first two home games um, at Milford Ice Arena. But there are renovations, and Alexis told me that the Connecticut Whale have been in the conversations about the renovations. That's how much um, 
this ice rink is preparing for the Connecticut whale. That's huge. And that's really exciting. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, that's that's exactly these the conversations we, we really hope to start seeing more of are things like this, right? I mean, you know, I, I feel like it would be remiss talking about the whale, not to mention the the job posting we saw and, and the language that was used for the head, head athletic trainer position where it seemed like, you know, a step back was taken in terms of a lot of positive things. And then you see things like that and you, you, you can't help but put your, your, you know, your head into your hands and just say, oh, gosh, here we go again. But we see more and more these things that demonstrate that the player experience is getting to be more and more at that level that it needs to be for professional athletes where they're treated with respect. They're treated like professionals. This isn't, you know, you can't critique it and say it's a beer league. You know, they have their own locker room and um, that's a big deal. It's a big deal when venues can offer that. I love that. I love that detail, Erica, that the whale are part of that conversation. And, you know, it's something that's been, that stood out to me is the whale have been very fortunate in a lot of ways in terms of the folks they've had in leadership. And I, I think of Bray Ketchum, I think of Laura Brennan, and now I think of, of Colt Knorr, you know, who's been there for several seasons now, that the people they've had, even if they've only stayed for a season or two, like in Bray's case, I think, but like the people who are there have put so much energy into making this work. And um, that to me, is the reason why the whale are kind of where they are now just on and off the ice is enough people put like the building blocks down to get things into this position of stability and new ownership going out and saying, we're going to go find the best players we can bringing in Kennedy Marchman, you know, finding Taylor Gerard in the draft, finding all these players, bringing Ali Monroe, Talking, you know, letting the players who were the core of the team come back, bringing back Alyssa Wolfheiler, who was, uh, you know, with, with the Boston Pride, looking across, bringing in Janine Weber. Like, everywhere you look, like, the decisions they've made have worked on the ice. So I'm hoping we'll see these off-ice decisions pay off for the whale. I'm so glad you mentioned Bray Ketchum Peel. Now yes, one thank of, you. Uh, and ha- who has joined uh, the 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 Riveters, OG Rivs, Moms Club. Um, so congratulations to Bray. But, you know, and the roster. We talked about the roster. Alexis came in in July, sometime in July, I think we were talking. So, um, you know, some of that work and the foundation had been laid um, by Bray. And um, in talking with Alexis today, you know, Colton Orr is very involved and active as a head coach in some of that decision-making. It was interesting also um, to talk a little bit. And since we have Mike here, who is helping revolutionize transparency when it comes to uh, the salaries of women's hockey players, I want to mention this, that, um, you know, I, I we talked about some of the, I don't want to say unforeseen, but some of the, it's kind of like, you know, more money, more problems, <laughs> I guess, is how we will, we will phrase this little piece here. But we talked about it last week on Helica, how when you have an increased salary cap, that means as a general manager, you're, you're making different types of decisions. I mean, you can, in theory, tap out and, and pay uh, certain players their value. Um, but then you have to think of what that means for the overall salary cap. You have to think about what that means for the player and their journey. And if they can commit to what would be a worthy investment to make that, you know, there's all kinds of things. So Mike, um, I I would love to get you to weigh in here, uh, thinking about this increased salary cap and how do you think it will play a role or what are some of the things that we can now look out for as we will have a cap friendly, we have the work that you've been doing. Um, how do you think this will change how we talk about the value of players and then collectively a roster for each of these teams? I think the, the paramount thing to me, um, and it's been something I've been very mindful of since the word go is, you know, players who make this choice to, to disclose. And I feel like we need to be very mindful of making sure to acknowledge and celebrate that, like, every deal we see 
is the best and biggest deal of that player's life. They all deserve to be making six figures. You know, everyone should be making a living wage. We aren't there yet. I want us to be there yet so, so bad. I do feel confidently that this is the first step to start to get in that direction. I feel like having salary transparency is going to help those players who make the least make more. And that's really what I got passionate about is this idea that players go into negotiation not knowing what they can ask for. And if they have the context of what their peers make, of what their teammates make, of what their, their rivals and opponents make, they can make more. They can negotiate and demand for more. Um, that's a big deal. It's a very big deal um, looking at things like, you know, we can look at cap percentage and based on what happened with the cap and how it grew and how players who, Angie, you and I had a conversation about this recently. Um, Literally last night. <laughs> yeah. Um, where a player might be making a lot more, but that might not even necessarily be a raise because they might be making up less of a cap percentage than they were against last year's cap. Just because the number is bigger doesn't mean their slice of the pie of the team's available salary resources is the same. I think these are all conversations that are super important because we're at the stage now where, you know, this is, I do not mean this in any disparaging way. I hope it doesn't come off that way, but for so many, many players for the first several years of this league, especially, you know, one of the things we're trying to do with uh, the cap site is having all every, every contract we've ever seen. So we have the historical context um, most of the time, no one was really making what we would consider a living wage, especially in the uh, United States of America, um, and especially in a lot of these cities where the cost of living is crazy. But you look at what players are making, what they could stand to make. This is not the difference between like, oh, how much money do you make in your second source of income? Is it you know $15,000 or is it $13,000? That $2,000 is still a very big deal, don't get me wrong. But now we're in this, these conversations of, are you making enough to, you can choose not to do anything other than be a pro athlete. You are afforded the luxury of that choice. That doesn't mean you have to do it, to be clear. Players who have other careers and they're making, you know, 50K or 45K and they say, you know what, I want to keep my other career. That's beautiful. More power to you. Go kick butt. I hope you're just as good off the ice as you are on the ice. But players can now be in a position where they say, I'm going to be full-time hockey. And so that means that these resources, how much they can negotiate for is that much more important, where players can negotiate into that range. And it's when we look at some of the salaries that have been disclosed, this isn't just a handful of players who are, who are in that range of being within a striking distance or within what we would consider a living wage. That's a big, big darn deal. Um, to me, it's, 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 it's kind of, you know, appropriate that it comes up with this whale episode of the founding four pot, Eric and Angie, because the whale disclosed the most salaries. The players on the whale were the most transparent, um, which I think deserves a lot of stick taps and, um, we need to acknowledge that because that's a big deal that the leadership of that team, a lot of players who are leaders, a lot of players who are veterans, players like Janine Weber, you know, players like Alyssa Wolfiler, players who have been a part of this since year one. They said, yeah, here's what I'm making. I, I want I want this out there to help my my enemies, to help my friends, to help my opponents. Like, that's a big deal. Um, Not enemies. <laughs> Enemies is a strong word, but you know what? I've seen some whale games where we've seen, I mean, Emily Fluke was a whale for a long time. I've seen some things. Um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's a very exciting time. It's a very exciting time for hockey. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And I think that, um, you know, going back to that, 
idea of, you know, cap percentages and stuff, I think that also needs to be taken into consideration. I mean, these general managers are now dealing with more money than they've ever had to deal with as well. Um, and I think that for all intents and purposes, some GMs have managed that a lot better than others, I think. Um, and I think that the Whale are a really good example of that in that they've been able to really retain their core and make some key additions. Sorry, there's somebody up my butt on the 290. Why are people tailgate? Anyway, um, so there were, um, you know, some key additions, but they were still able to preserve their roster in a way that some other teams, <laughs> Buffalo, um, weren't able to do. So I was like, I wonder whoever could you be talking about? Listen, I'm still, I'm still a little, I'm still more than a little salty. Let's be real. But uh, two Latinas, spicy hockey takes. Oh no, this is pure salt, not even spice. This is just salt, dude. <laughs> oh boy. Well, I think I, I hope to have you back more to have this conversation, Mike, because um, there was a little nugget before we move on, though, that I did want to return to, because you mentioned something about with the salary cap increasing um, and maybe a player's take for this year numerically has increased, um, but that percentage being different. And the reason that I wanted to come back to that is because we know that there have been revenue splits that have been incorporated or been able to be negotiated um, in years past. Again, it's one of those things in, in the NWHL slash PHF that if you don't really keep your finger on the pulse, it, it might get lost in the sauce. But I wanted to know if, from what you know, Mike, is there any of that percentage um, that you were just talking about um, that could maybe impact what we see from um, some of the revenue share? I think it's a really important question, right? That so much of what the story of this offseason, I think a lot of people have gotten wrapped up about, you know, the continuation of the PHF, the PWHPA, and what's going on there. Um, the storyline that I've been paying more attention to is so much more money in pro women's hockey this year. Um, to like a staggering amount more money. Like um, I think of just the whale alone. Um, we know of this whale roster just from the disclosed salaries, mind you, that there's $385,600 spent on just the salaries we have disclosed. So the total cap space that they have left potentially distributed among the rest of the players is less than what they've spent. Like that is, those are not numbers we've been able to talk about before Erica in, in women's hockey. And I actually am one of the things I hope we see is I hope we see a lot of these things stay in place. Like these, these additional revenue streams, things like Jersey shields, things like, a stake in, in, you know, TV deals and something that I think we all need to pay a lot of attention to is when we see the, the PA become a true union, when we see the PA become a true entity in and of itself that can negotiate. I'm not sure aggressively is the right word, but maybe with a yes, little more. Yes, it is. Uh, I was <laughs> That's a great word. That is a hell of a word. Okay. Um, I'm a lot more meek than, than both of you. So yeah, we'll go with aggressively. Uh, but no, the, I think it's it's an incredibly important thing to underline is we're, we're getting to the stage now. More money means there's more at stake for everyone. And I want, I'm looking around and I want the next step to be for the PA to unionize, to be a true union, um, to be able to advocate more aggressively, you know, with, with its with its teeth bared for every penny that these players deserve. And I hope we get there sooner rather than later because the increase in in just resources and treasure, however you want to phrase it, is staggering the growth. And I think what's happened is, you know, these two competing entities, are now competing for players in terms of what they can offer them. And I feel like the first 
the first, you know, league or, or group or what have you um, that gets to the stage where players feel like, listen, I'm choosing this one because this is the league that gives me the most resources as a player that goes beyond money. There's just other ways to make money. There's things like what happens if I retire? Is there, will the PA give me benefits after I retire? Like we need to have those conversations in women's hockey. I want us to get there sooner rather than later. I feel like we'll, it's good if we get there. You know, I, I know we're going to have the, you know, the, the record setting deals and all of that, like we see in sports, but goodness gracious, I would really like, I'd love for this to be one of the first sports where we make sure that like those who make the least make enough to live comfortably and to be the professionals that we call them. They are. So that's, that's what I'm paying close attention to. Yeah. I, I love that point that you just made. And I think that it kind of goes back to, I feel like at this point, the PWHPA and the PHF existing at the same time is much more a boon than it is a detriment. Not only does it offer competition in where these players play and the number of spots that are available, but again, I don't know that the PHF would have made strides this big if the PWHPA wasn't on their tail. You know, similar to the CW and, and, you know, when the NWHL, as we know it, first came to be um, pre-branding, did the same thing with the CWHL. Unfortunately, it didn't work in the same way. But I think that I feel like the the structure and the business model is a lot. I think that it can be much more sustainable than the CW was. Um, but besides that, I, I just, I think that, you know, in terms of kind of fighting for more of the cut, fighting for, you know, more of the, of the pie, so to speak. I mean, I think that these two entities existing in tandem with each other is much, much more a benefit than it is a loss. The ongoing women's hockey debate uh, to be continued, but I love Mike that you brought up some of that, that stuff that is, is a part of sports business that for too long, because we're like, Oh, look at these women who are role models and kids with their faces on the ice or on the glass. And, you know, I mean, faces on the ice. Oh my God. What happened to those kids? I mean, they're having the time of their lives. I promise you. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah they, they just, just took, took a tripping penalty, penalty it, but it's fine. <laughs> But I think the the um that echo's killing me. <laughs> Thanks, girl. But um I think the focus on the business is the only way that Mike, to your point, some of the stuff that you brought up is ever going to change. It has to be a focus on the business and yeah. not in these grandiose, well, we're waiting on this fairy godfather to come and pick us up out of obscurity. <laughs> um, not in that way, but, um, you know, a good friend of mine uh, says, hire women, pay women, invest in women. And uh, that's Kelsey Trainer, by the way. Uh, but, yeah, that's what we need. We need uh, yeah. invest in sports. Uh that because we always have investments in sports, people are willing to lose buku money to sports, and I'm not even talking about owners. You, you know, now we have sports betting, people literally throwing money at sports. Uh, y'all could throw uh, some of it this way, but um, uh, fans spending what hundreds to thousands of dollars on jerseys and season ticket packs. I mean, and this is all again for men's leagues, so you know, exactly, and the option. Just hasn't existed. It's not that women's sports wouldn't do that. It's just that people, men, people somewhere in the world, believe don't don't even give it a chance. But anyway, men again, again. Somewhere in the world. I'm sorry, the way you phrase that though. Where's the lie? Where's the lie? No lie detected at all. <laughs> but um, I think I would love to continue this conversation. And you already know we do have these big conversations because they are important 
for the sport. But as we wrap up this PHF preview of the Connecticut Whale, the pod, Captain Shannon Turner returning to the ice. Again, I had a conversation with General Manager Alexis Moed, and, and it sounds like she literally said she never used the word retire when she would speak to Shannon uh, during this last season, in the off season, getting ready for preseason. She never used the term retirement, and she's like, when we come back it was just like uh speaking it into existence uh so i loved that i can't wait to hear shannon's account of what made the news official but when we think of shannon turner returning janine weber back um we talked about goaltending with midi reisen and back mrazova back uh i'm really curious to see what tori sullivan can do and 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 how she finds her way on this team um soliotis Mike, to you first. This Connecticut whale team will be successful if fill in the blank. I mean, the first thing I normally say to this is if they stay healthy, but I think they have enough depth where they're going to be fine. Um, like they, they can endure an injury or two. I don't I don't want that to happen, of course, but you look at this and it's like, oh yeah, their their third line is a first line, so it's uh uh, I mean, I think they'll be fine. Um, uh, the one thing I would like to see is, like, I really think this team is going to be great at even strength. I think they're going to be just fine if if the special teams. Um, last year, they were amazing on the PK, but they actually weren't that great on the power play. And it's one of those things when you look at that roster, you're like, what, friends, what's going on? Um Everyone is so good on the ice. How do you not? How do you not score a goal? What's what's the deal? Uh, so easy. I feel like that. Easy. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like yeah, we're gonna take it easy until you get you get her out of the box. Um, but yeah, it's. I think that's gonna be a big story of this season is is that special teams play because the uh, you know sometimes they ended up in games that should have been cl- that were closer than they should have been just because like the power play didn't deliver and. The Whales stayed out of the box, too. They, they were the least penalized team because they had the puck so much. So if they just do what they do at even strength and get a little bit better on the power play, things are going to be just fine in Connecticut. Also, um, I think it's time to actively advocate for a three-game uh, Isabel Cup final because I'm not sure I can take it. I'm not sure I can take it again. Absolutely. Absolutely, I so agree with that. So, what's your response, Angie? You heard what Mike had to say. Uh, hmm. uh I think that the whale will be successful. If honestly, I feel like this is their cup to lose. I'm gonna say that right now. Um, I really don't see them losing momentum. Um, like I said, I feel like if they stay the course and they just treat every single game like it is that cup final and, you know, stick with their defense and, you know, stick to the game plan, don't let teams <clears throat> dictate the play, um, I think that they're they're going to be successful. I, I really don't see them losing this year. I mean... It could happen, definitely, but I really don't foresee it happening. I really do think this is their cup to lose. Yeah, I don't know that there's too much to add, really. We have some fantastic analysis of this Connecticut Whale team. But for me, I will say uh, the Connecticut Whale team will be successful. And even I'll put on... uh, I'll put this a, a little bit higher stakes here. The Connecticut Whale will return to the Isabel Cup final and Ooh. win their first franchise championship, thus closing the loop on founding four teams, winning Izzy. Um, if Janine Weber is a top three scorer in the league. Oh, I like that one a lot. I like that one a lot, actually. That's fun. That's fun to me because the whale have so much center depth, and people sleep on Janine Weber, and it drives me nuts. Um, like Janine Weber, when you look at her over the years, all she does is kick butt. She's just so consistent. And yet, and yet, 
seriously. I'm like, that just shocks me because it's just like Jeannie Weber, anytime she's ever played like the Buttes or anything, I'm just like, where did she come from? She's so dangerous. And she's one of those players that isn't necessarily the flashiest, but she just adds so much to a team. So I, I definitely agree with Meg. I like that one. Yeah, I think what I saw from Janine Weber each of her seasons with the Connecticut Whale is that they benefit from her size. Um, And that is something that Janine Weber, like just her, her build is strong and she has height and she uses that to her advantage. And when the Connecticut Whale are able to have Janine Weber on the ice battling along the boards and just winning pucks throughout all three zones so that then you can get that puck to a Taylor Gerard or a Marchman. Um, you know, I think that's, it's just a better team. You saw it. She played, you know, somewhat like half a season, I think with Connecticut, then got in a full season, had an injury, um, was back last year and you saw the impact. Uh, it was the little things that were done there. And so I think they have a team now full of players like that. So what I would like to see is Janine be able to incorporate some of that finesse back into her game, like staying strong on the stick, hard on the puck is, is a given. And I think that there's still more that she can do to create offense for this Connecticut whale team. So I say points leader, that's goals and assists. Cause I think that she'll naturally want to set up her teammates, but I hope she pops some bottles this year as well. <laughs> um just a quick shout out i think we have some whale uh whale parents in the in the space right now listening so uh oh, snap. shout oh, snap. out to you guys um definitely appreciate you you guys tuning into the space connecticut whale have always been a fun team to watch in the early years it, they were also the fun team to watch if you liked the drama hunty off the ice. We've seen that go away. It went by the wayside. Eh, maybe by season two, three-ish. Four was a bad one for everyone. Uh, but we digress. Um, <laughs> especially in the in the Northeast. But, um, you know, I, I think things have settled in similarly to what we've seen in Boston. I think what Minnesota uh, is trying to do... Um, as far as really getting their core in the front office and as the bench bosses, as some might say, Mike Murphy. So I think it's going to be a good one, Mm. but that'll do unless we have any questions from the audience, burning questions. We've got some, some experts here. We're always happy to have you weigh in, but we think this Connecticut whale team, all three of us on the panel, we think they're going to the final. We think it's their cup to lose, which always makes things interesting because that means they have a target on their back. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like I said, this team, I mean, this league is just tight, 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 tight. Any team can take it at any time. Um, so it'll be interesting, but I definitely am very excited for this whale team this season. I really can't wait to see what they do. All right, folks. Well, thank you as always for listening in on the Founding Four podcast. This has been our preview of the Connecticut Whale team. Uh, we will go on, on Sunday at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and we were talking about the Metropolitan Riveters. That will be our fourth Founding Four team until we uh, expand, if you will into the expansion teams conversation. Uh, So I think it's going to be a good one. We've talked about arenas and venues. I'm definitely looking forward to the dialogue about how we feel about American Dream. We will be joined by Dan Rice. But tonight, the man, the myth, the legend himself, Mike Murphy. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real treat. I love listening to the pod now. It's you two are so hilarious and entertaining together. And I, you know, that I, I love the idea of lifting each other up. That's what you two are both about. That's what this pod was about in the first place. You've done an amazing job, Angelica. I hope you know that. Um, it's been a joy to listen to. And I listen to every show. And I'm very happy to come back whenever you want me to bore everyone with some stats. <laughs> <laughs> 
stop. You're going to make me cry in the middle of this parking lot. And I need to maintain my, like, tough exterior in front of these hockey players right now. So, um, yeah. I mean, honestly, without you, there would be no Founding Four pod. And there wouldn't be any us. So, uh, definitely thank you so much, Mike. And thank you both. You're both the best. We've been through a lot on these wild and crazy NWHL slash PHF streets, but uh, we're still here. And hopefully everyone who tuned in and has tapped in, you have enjoyed our work and this conversation. Uh, But Mike Murphy, let the folks know where can they find your work? Uh, I mean, and if you don't just know, I'm ready to riff off the full list. So don't, don't hold back on us. No, oh my gosh. Um, I always say there's too many things in the Twitter bio, but right now the focus is the Ice Garden. Um, I have their hockey counts, which I'm very proud of. It's a database for women's hockey, getting sled hockey stats up there, trying to track some PWHPA this year, trying to make sure there's stuff out there for, for all the leagues that don't get enough shine. Um, right about the Rangers at Blue Shirt Banner and... There's bench bosses, which is a resource for hockey coaches, all sorts of things. But that's really where you can find me. Check out PHF Future Considerations Pod and the Net Growth Pod. A um, couple more women's hockey pods to add to, add to your listens. But uh, again, it was a real joy. Thank you both for having me. Angelica, we know you're getting ready to go into practice. Look at this. It's just like uh, what I used to do to Mike. <laughs> Reporting live from Full circles. Yes, indeed, indeed. <laughs> I love it. But love it. so we know, so we know, Angie's gonna have some good stuff from from Buffalo for us. Uh, but you can find her at Reina de la Isla. Love that. Um, yes, you can find me at Reina de la Isla on Twitter, and uh, I am a. Uh, loyal, loyal part of the Ice Garden under Mr. Mike Murphy. Um, I write columns. I write uh, features. I am on the Buttes Beat. And uh, yeah, that's where you can find my stuff. I should have some really great stuff coming down the pipeline in the next couple weeks. So stay tuned. Fantastic. And I am Erica Lindsay Ayala. You can find my personal account at elindsay08. But of course, make sure you're following the Founding Four pod. Again, we spoke with Alexis Moed. That is the new general manager of the Connecticut Whale. Uh, We know that Angelica is literally walking into the arena now for Butte's practice. So you're not going to want to miss some of the exciting stuff that we have coming up, including, of course, Sunday's tap-in is going to be about the Metropolitan Riveters. There will be lots to talk about there. But for now, on behalf of Mike Murphy and Angelica Rodriguez, my name is Erica Lindsay Ayala. This has been the Founding Four podcast, part of Black Rosie Media, and we will catch you on Sunday. Thanks, everyone. Peace.